This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Lale Arakoglu, and welcome to another episode of Women Who Travel. We're a few days shy from the end of the FIFA World Cup, taking place at stadiums all over Australia and New Zealand. The actual colours of this World Cup has been so beautifully done. It's been orchestrated by uh, designers in both Australia and New Zealand, incorporating the colours of the land and the ocean, the forests, the deserts. So it's a beautiful colour palette. And there's beautiful merchandise using these colours and beautiful posters and flags close to the venues. Whoever you supported, however you watched the matches, or if you found it frustratingly hard to access the matches, you're probably aware there were major shocks, wildly unexpected wins, and everything in between. Twenty-three nations played in the 2023 FIFA tournament. That's a lot of travelling. We'll be talking to an Australian sports and politics reporter about how the tournament impacted her country. I'm not parochial. I'm not a fan. I don't support one team over any other. I love talking to the people that have come from everywhere and just getting their responses and how they're soaking up the atmosphere, the stories. And later... We'll hear from an American goalkeeper. Unfortunately, you are going to go into some games where you're not feeling your best. About what it's like to play in intense international competitions after you've flown huge distances and multiple time zones. I don't so much care who wins the World Cup and in particular matches who's going to emerge victorious or not. That's Tracy Holmes, who's based in Sydney. She's been an anchor for Australian TV and radio travelling the globe covering 14 Olympic Games and other major international events. So it's new to her to be telling stories about her own home. My conversation with Tracy was soon after kickoff. I was in Brisbane the other day and I went to a match between England, who are one of the pre-tournament favourites, and Haiti, one of the newcomers. And that was just a contrast itself between the haves and the have-nots. And I was interested to see, I knew there'd be a lot of English supporters because we have so many Brits that live here in Australia. 
but I was astounded to see how many people had come to support Haiti. So there are a whole lot of Americans, um, there are a whole lot of people from, you know, Central America, and there are a whole lot of Australians as well that were just cheering for the underdog. And Haiti really took it to England, and so the, the enthusiasm throughout the match was phenomenal. I am interested to know as a reporter whether you are saying World Cup or Women's World Cup. I'm saying World Cup. Okay, tell me, tell me your line of thinking. In my way of thinking, it's the World Cup and there's a men's and a women's. Everyone knows it's the women's being contested now. We've been having this discussion around a lot of different leagues that we have in Australia anyway, other football, so Australian rules football, rugby league rugby union, and they've all recently in the past few years started women's competitions that they didn't have before. And so, for instance, if I can give you an example, our rugby league is called the NRL. So they've had the NRL and now they've got NRLW. So we had this argument, okay, well, if we're going to identify women, then we need to identify men. So either we call it NRLM and NRLW or we call it NRL. And we let the pictures do the talking or the voices of the women. We can hear that it's obviously women. From what I understand, I think this is like the first tournament or one of the first tournaments to be hosted by two countries. Yeah. What's that feeling like and what's it like to be travelling back and forth between Australia and New Zealand to, to cover this? I mean, what a unique experience. It's the first Women's World Cup that is co-hosted. There was a Men's World Cup co-hosted back in the 80s and that was co-hosted between Japan and South Korea. And I remember speaking to one of the organisers back then who said, never again. <laughs> it's an absolute nightmare because... You've got international travel. You have to keep going back and forth through immigration. You know, you need your visas in check. And so there's all of that. So what's tended to happen is that everybody and media companies as well have a New Zealand team and an Australian team. And most of the people are based in Australia. For those that are based in New Zealand, it's not such a big deal because the, the distances between the cities are not so vast. In Australia, it's vast. So you've got some teams. I was looking at the schedule the other day and, you know, you think this one poor team, first of all, they play in Brisbane. They fly five and a half hours across to the other side of the country to Perth and they fly back three and a half hours to somewhere else. It's like it's so they, wild. They, they were jet lagged just coming to Australia. Then they're going to be jet lagged going to the other side of the country. I feel terrible when I get off a plane and I don't have to do anything after, <laughs> how on earth do you actually make yourself feel kind of on the top of your game after all this air travel? And I mean, it just sounds grueling. Yeah, it's grueling. It's grueling. In, in Australia, we're kind of used to it. You've covered sport in many different countries and travelled a lot for it. Do the crowds at a Women's World Cup and a Men's World Cup feel different and... If so, why do you think that is? I mean, if I compare it to the most recent FIFA World Cup, which was the Men's World Cup in November, December last year in Qatar, the general feel, it was run so well. It was the first time ever that no British person was arrested at a FIFA World Cup. And you're talking to a British person here, so I, I'm, sh I'm floored by that fact. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> 
We yeah, don't, we don't do well on the feel. world stage, I have to say. No. But, and, and here's the thing, though. There was no alcohol. And so normally when people get arrested at a World Cup, it's because they're particularly drunk and become very aggressive. In Qatar, one of the first people I spoke to, it was uh, the night before the World Cup was going to start. And I was down on the Corniche, which is like the Bay Area, where you can walk around. And they had this beautiful, uh, there's a lot of parklands near the coast. And uh, they'd erected all of these huge big silver flagpoles with the flags of every nation. And it was really spectacularly lit at night. And at night, because of the heat of the day there, at night, all the families tend to come out and hover around the beach area or wherever there's a park. It's, it's a very friendly atmosphere. There was a woman who was watching me do a live cross and I was packing up my camera gear afterwards and she came across and she gave me really beautifully wrapped little sweet, like a local dessert. And I said, oh, thank you. And she said, oh, you know, welcome to my country. And I said, oh, can I do an interview with you? And she said, yes. And uh, she was completely covered. Most people, most of the women in Qatar, you can see all of their faces, even though their hair is covered. And I said, how do you feel about the world coming here? And she said, oh, well, I'm very relieved because my country just announced that, you know, originally there was going to be alcohol in the venues and the government has just announced that they're canning that 48 hours before the event started, which caused a lot of controversy in Western nations. And she said, I'm so relieved because I've never seen drunk people and I would be scared to come down here with my two daughters and so now I don't have to fear coming out in my own country and being part of the celebration. And I thought that's incredible. And so what you saw in Qatar, and for a men's World Cup, this was completely unique, a lot of families in the stands, a lot of children. And that's the same sort of thing you get at a Women's World Cup. women's sporting culture at the elite level hasn't developed along that same arc that men's has developed over the last hundred years. And so predominantly, you know, women have had to bring their children to the game or if they're in a team, they have to put them on the sidelines. So, you know, they play with each other while, while the women are training. So that already has a very different feel. When men have gone to training, it's just a whole lot of men. But that's starting to change too, you know, because I think they, they cross over at some point. And so it becomes the norm that the whole family now is part of a sporting conversation or the sporting landscape and the involvement in sporting activity. And so that's changed. And also the next generation in 20 years' time when the children and the youth of today in charge of media coverage or CEOs of companies or who knows how the world is going to look in that time because things change so quickly, but also the integration of other parts of the world. You think about professional sport and it's just been dominated and elite sport dominated by rich, wealthy, mostly white countries. And that we're starting to see a shift as well. Even some of the teams here that are performing they came here with no reputation. No one knew anything about them. They were debutantes. Haiti, for instance, comes here on the back of huge economic challenges, social challenges, political challenges. And here they are holding the European champions, England, 
to account in a way that nobody expected, and that's great. After the break, Tracy reflects on flying last minute up to Darwin in Australia's Northern Territory to cover an unexpected appearance by FIFA Secretary-General Fatma Samora, who was meeting with young soccer players. From Foreign Policy, I'm Rena Nainan, the host of The Hidden Economics of Remarkable Women. Over the past few years, we've looked at how women around the world are changing societal norms to increase their economic power. This season, we're focusing completely on girls, how they're pushing for a brighter, more powerful future, and what the rest of us can do to set them up for success. Join us for stories about girl power, young women who are fighting for change, to give themselves a chance to live a life of their own choosing. That's season six of The Hidden Economics of Remarkable Women, wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to level up? For me, it's my hiking boots, which have gotten me over some pretty tough terrain. And I'm not talking about my morning commute on the New York City subway. They've pushed me to go to far-off places like trekking in the remote mountains in Patagonia, wildlife spotting amid the thick rainforest of the Amazon, and climbing through canyons in the Utah desert. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. There's an available panorama glass roof, 33-inch all-terrain tires, and multi-terrain select driving modes. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior means that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. This message comes from Apple Card. Earn up to 3% daily cashback on every purchase, every day. Then, grow it at 4.50% annual percentage yield when you open a savings account with Apple Card. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card subject to credit approval. Savings available to Apple Card owners subject to eligibility. Savings accounts provided by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, member FDIC. Terms apply. The Secretary General of FIFA, Fatma Samura, really broke the mould of FIFA administration. She came in in 2016 off the back of raids that were run in in Switzerland, but called for by the Department of Justice in the US. A number of executives have been jailed. $300 million has been returned to FIFA, which had been taken out of the system. So this woman is quite amazing because every president and secretary general of FIFA, the world governing body of football, has been a white European male. And so after all of this trouble and this this horrible reputation that had developed around FIFA, the president brought in Fatma Samura, who's a Senegalese woman, black Muslim female. You could not get anything more diametrically opposed to what had been the norm for 112 years. Anyway, she's been very active in really creating different conversations, uh, things like making sure that First Nations voices have been heard in this World Cup, which are very important to the Maori people in New Zealand and the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island people in Australia, whose voices are marginalised. 
so there was all that sort of work being done behind the scenes. And she decided she was going to fly up to Darwin, which is at the top of Australia. Uh, in a, It's not a state, it's a territory called the Northern Territory. And it's probably the city, the only city in Australia where you would walk down the street and a majority of the people you walk past are First Nations people. So it already has a very different feel to many other Australian cities. She went up there to meet with a number of First Nations communities and I was lucky enough to find out she was going because it wasn't a media trip. And so I flew up, but it's like five hours on the plane and I had to fly up sort of midnight to get there in the morning. I worked all day and then I caught the midnight flight back. So it was like this 30-hour period and it's like that was just to go, you know, to a city up up the hill. <laughs> what a whirlwind though. What was what was that trip like when you were on the ground? Fascinating actually because uh, she turned up at a skills clinic for a whole lot of children. They weren't only First Nations children. They were just a collection of kids who were real football enthusiasts, um, but a lot of them were First Nations. And when she arrived, uh, she was introduced and the kids were all sitting on the ground. And she got down and sat on the ground too, on the grass. It was wet grass and she had her legs folded. It was very humid. And she spoke to them at their level. And that already impressed me because it's not the normal way for presidents of world governing bodies or secretaries general of world governing bodies to behave. But then the way she spoke to them and what she spoke about, I've never heard a conversation from somebody in her position like that. And so she said to them, look, you know, I understand that the world is not fair, that people don't all get the same opportunities. And even you as the next generation coming through will have more opportunities than I did. I couldn't play football in my country. It was very conservative and just not a thing a girl could do. Girls now can, and she's very keen on pushing the women aspect. But she said, I can relate to your story because we were colonised, you know, 200 and something years ago. And she said, people came to my country and colonised my country and three million of my ancestors were sold as slaves to the USA. And just to hear someone speak like that uh, was totally unique and I was so glad I was there to hear it because, as I say, you don't normally get that from sports uh, officials run a million miles from anything that's controversial and she just went in. I was going to say, I it sounds very surprising and also I think an example of how sport and, you know, I think the World Cup, but you could apply it to other tournaments too, really starts so many conversations and brings people together in a lot of different ways. You know, I think you just think about people attending for the match, but there's so much more that kind of comes out of it. What do you think sports responsibility is in moments like this? And do you think we expect too much or too little from it? The other day I was at a game between Jamaica and France. And it was phenomenal. Jamaica just held France and was very level. But one of the people I spoke to afterwards coming out of the venue was a young footballer from Afghanistan who had to flee her country when the Taliban came into Kabul and took over. She's playing at a local soccer team here. And she put out an appeal to FIFA to say, don't forget about us, because the entire 
Afghanistan women's team is here in Australia. I think if you can have genuine change that comes from events like this, that's a really great thing, not just for football, not just for women's football, but for the world. Fabulous. Great. This has been really fascinating. You can hear Tracy Holmes on her podcast, The Ticket, from the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. Every week, she plunges headlong into analysing a wide range of sport and the politics around sport. Coming up, Nicole Barnhart of The Washington Spirit. Do you sometimes wake up with the desire to understand the seen and the unseen forces guiding you through this life? And are you ready to begin uncovering the impact of these forces in your day to day? Do you feel that you could use a little push, a little umph, or maybe even a little juju to be reminded of your power within your ancestors to truly understand you? Well, child, if so, it sounds like you need a little juju podcast in your life. Hey, bays, I'm your host, Juju Bay. Welcome, Aquaba, bienvenidos to the Womanist Witchy Insight Show, diving deep into the Black healing journey, pop culture juju, and the ancestral spiritual systems that can help get us free. So please come on over and join the ALJ Pod family. New episodes drop every single Wednesday, and you can listen wherever you get your podcasts. Nicole Barnhart's career has taken her to incredible places far from home. And it's turned her into a travel pro who knows how to take unexpected events in her stride. She chatted with me early in the tournament, before the US would get knocked out by Sweden. Nicole's currently the goalkeeper for the DC team Washington Spirit and has represented her country in the 2008 and 2012 Olympics and in two World Cups. I think I have the best job in the world. I get to work out, get paid to play soccer and, and travel the world and see really cool areas and places that I probably never would have seen. You know, you get to travel, you get to experience places you made your friends and they're essentially like your family because you spend so much time with them. I was part of a group with the national team called ourselves kind of like the nerds because we were the ones that when we had opportunities to go out and explore, which, you know, we're far and few between, we always tried to make the most of it and, and go out and check out cool things and you know, experience. Wait, tell me a little <laughs> bit more about what made you nerds on those things. What were you going to check out? Um, I think it was just the fact there was a small group of us and we we're like, oh, we have time. Let's go do something fun and cool and learn about the local, you know, history or culture, or experience something cool that, and everybody else was like, oh, I'm going to sit at home on our day off. As someone who was obsessed with Bend It Like Beckham as a teenager, <laughs> when they get to go play in Germany and have that night out is like cemented <laughs> in, on my brain. What was it what was it actually like when you were all together in Germany and when you were in China? Like you, you know, you were going out and trying to experience those places when you could, but I'm assuming it it was probably more than just like one slightly disastrous night in a nightclub. <laughs> yeah. Um honestly, China was so long ago, it's it's hard for me to remember that too much. And I think for me that was my first, you know, big team that I made. So just to be on the World Cup team was like eyes were probably about this big with everything that happened. (laughs) Um, I don't remember us honestly getting out to do too much there. And because part of it with the World Cup is you have a lot of games and you're traveling a lot between games. 
I think the one thing I do remember that we did get to do was we got to go to like a panda sanctuary and just kind of see what they do there and how they save pandas. We got to interact with the panda. Uh, but again, that was all before the tournament started. And then once games start, it's just down the business and you're just so busy, you're tired, you're traveling. I have to ask, you know, when I've done like a really long distance flight, I feel like absolute dog shit when I get <laughs> off the plane. And, you know, I the last thing I can kind of fathom is trying to do a run. And, you know, your, bo- you, your body just feels so sort of drained. How do you make sure you arrive feeling in good shape and feeling energized? That must be really hard. It is. It's tough. Um, I mean, there's only so much you can do. I think you kind of control what you can control and know that you're probably not going to feel your best when you get over there because you have long travel. You're you're spending a lot of time sitting. You're dealing with time zone changes, which is probably one of the toughest things, at least for me. I don't sleep a lot as it is. So like I only sleep during certain windows. And if you miss it, you're like, man, I, I feel awful. They're always honest about it may, you may be tired, but don't sleep because you've got to get yourself adjusted to the time zone. You know, so a lot of times we would just go out and if we were in a place where we could walk around, we'd go out and just walk around to move and, and be active and, and stay awake and try to get adjusted. You mentioned sleep. <laughs> <laughs> What's it like playing a match if, say, you still haven't shaken that jet lag or the hotel bed just like isn't giving you a good night's sleep? How does it feel to play a high profile match really tired? You're always going to go out and, and give your best effort and it may not be what you want it to be. But again, you, you always try to do as much as you can to get yourself feeling your best uh, come game day. And you know that there's times where that's not always going to be successful. So a lot of it's the mental side of it. Of, of I know I don't feel my best, but I'm still going to go out and push and, and give my best and still perform. And I mean, I've had some days where my best performances are days where I go out thinking I'm tired. And I think it's you know, it's just like a mental reset and your body's just kind of in overdrive and trying to survive. And somehow it turns out to be one of your best performances. We're focusing a lot on the World Cup and rightfully so. It's timely. But, you know, you said you've basically been you've been traveling your entire career, a career that would have started when you were really young. And so you've had so many travel experiences. Do you have a, I guess, a, a favorite or a most memorable travel experience, a place that football has taken you to or soccer has taken you to? I would say I've loved the Nordic countries. Um, I've just loved the environment, the culture, the people. Um, I really liked, we did a, a pre-World Cup camp in Austria for the Germany World Cup. And I just thought it was so pretty there. I loved outdoors. I love nature. So just seeing all that and experience that was was really cool and pretty. We spent a little bit of time in, in Tokyo and Japan. I love that culture. I love the food. I feel like you've been listing off a bunch of places that I love because I <laughs> loved Japan when I went and I loved Tokyo. Yes. Talk a little bit more about that because it just it is just feels like another world when you're there. We were there. We were mostly in Tokyo. It wasn't a very long trip, but we did do a little bit of travel as well. It was after the tsunami, actually. So we did actually travel out to where the tsunami hit shore. So to see that and see all of the kind of just like desolate area and abandoned ships and cars and boats. So that was a really memorable experience to be able to just see and experience that area and and really, really comprehend and understand what people went through during that disaster. What a wild experience. How come you went down there? Was it sort of to volunteer or was it just part you happened to be passing through that region? It wasn't too far from where we were staying and just having, you know, played Japan at international events and, you know, trying to support them through all of what they were going through. They just thought it would be a good opportunity for us to go out and kind of see and learn. And um, 
yeah, it was very, very eye-opening. But I mean, as far as Tokyo itself, it was really, really just an interesting city. I think one of the things I remember is there's just so many earthquakes in Tokyo that it's just kind of like common and natural, even if they're small or, or big. So I think the thing that kind of amazed me is like so many of the buildings there are equipped for, for earthquakes and they almost, a lot of them sense them before they happen. So I know there's, I think it was in our hotel. One time we were waiting for the elevator. Like, why is the elevator not coming? Why? And then all of a sudden it's like, you feel the earthquake and you're out. Like it senses them and they stop. So you can't get in them. So it's like little things like that. Oh my God, that is terrifying. (laughs) uh, (laughs) You just kind of get used to it at that point. You're like, sometimes you can't even tell if you're shaking or not. So I, I remember athletic trainers like hung a string with a piece of tape in the athletic training room. So you could see if it was moving and if it was actually an earthquake. Um, but I think just like the food side of it was really cool as well. Like their train stations there are, are really popular and there's some really, really good kind of hidden food places there. I, I remember we went and got shabu shabu, mm-hmm. which uh, was so good. We, I think we would have eaten it every day if we could have. So I, I'm like a little bit of a food junkie. So I love going out and experiencing food in other places and different cultures been focusing a lot on international travel but obviously you you play all over the US as well where are some of your favorite places in America to play where has the best crowds and the best atmosphere we just played in San Diego you know about 2 weeks ago and their their crowd their stadium that they have there is is tremendous LA they pack the house every single one of their games and it's just getting people out there consistently and it's really cool to see that support and just to see that excitement about women's soccer that it's deserved all these years. And it's finally there. It still has room to grow, but like where it is now is such a better place than it has been. Thank you so much. I know that you are so busy. Um, so I really appreciate that you managed to find some time to chat with me. We'll be back next week with another mini episode, this time with listener Margaret who was compelled to recreate a trip to Europe her mother took in the 1950s. After finding a set of Kodak slides, her mother had kept to herself. I'm Lale Arikoglu, and you can find me on Instagram at Lale Hannah. Our engineers are Jake Loomis and Gabe Kuroga. The show's mixed by Amar Lal. Duke Kampfner from Corporation for Independent Media is our producer. See you next week. I'm Chris Murphy. I'm Richard Lawson. And I'm Hilary Busis. We are from Vanity Fair's Still Watching Podcast. Next up, we're watching the new HBO show, The Regime. Madam Chancellor, let's keep the gloves on. This is not a confrontation. We're just saying what's true. Academy Award winner Kate Winslet is our chancellor as she leads a faux European autocracy in turmoil. We'll be watching week by week as the regime unravels. And we'll be talking to the stars along the way. New episodes of Still Watching will drop every Sunday after the regime airs.